Welcome everybody to the audio newsroom. It's day two of running this series and we just opened up the room here. So uh, more folks will be joining in shortly. Today's going to be a really cool event. We're talking about everything audio news, podcasting news, and For those of you who are new to the room, we're doing it every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. It's me and Steve Ulsher as the hosts of this show, and we are recording it for a brand new podcast, which is going to be launching this Monday. And... The reason why I thought about this space and holding this space multiple times per week is because there's new stories every single day about podcasting and the drop-in audio space. It seems like every app is coming out with an update. There's so many different tools to keep track of and all the different features that are coming out that are helping to elevate the podcasting game. It's a relatively new space, but we're maturing. and, And with that maturity, I think we're just getting an influx of news. And there's really no one stop shop, at least on audio format, where we can catch our news and being podcasting and dropping audio fans, most of us want to listen to the news. We don't want to like read it over email every day. So that's why we put together this room. The other thing I want to take note of is the fact that we do have a weekly newsletter related to this room. So each and every week, we're going to be summarizing the different news stories of the week and sending it out via notes. So if you want access to that newsletter, DM me your email and we'll get you on there. So with that said, I'm going to pass it over to Steve and then able to introduce themselves. Well, good morning. How are you? Good afternoon. Good evening, depending on where you are in the world. Steve Olsher, happy to be here in the audio newsroom this morning. If we've never met before, I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Podcast Magazine and also the creator of Club Pod here on Clubhouse and just super excited to drop into today's news. Kick it over to Abel for a uh, quick intro. How are you doing, Abel? I'm doing very well. Hi, Hala. Hi, Steve. First of all, congrats on this amazing initiative. I think it's a great idea. There are so much happening on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. So really going to be excited to listen to your podcast and see what you're going to create. Then to the audience, I'm Abel from Riverside FM. We're a remote recording solution for podcasters and other content creators. But we'll talk about that later. Excited to be here. Yeah, me too, Abel. I love Riverside.fm. So really excited to hear about the different updates. Um, I know you guys have been coming out with a lot of new features. You always stay abreast of the latest trends. So excited to hear more from you. And guys, something that I didn't mention before is that we're going to be inviting executives like Abel from the different popular apps out there. So we have Abel today from Riverside.fm. On Friday, we have the COO of Chartable joining us and potentially somebody from Sounder.fm talking about some updates uh, with their apps and products. So really a great way to stay abreast of all the different news going on. Okay, speaking of news, we're going to get into our first news story. So there's lots of major mergers and acquisitions happening in the podcast space. You guys may have heard of some of these. So Sounder acquired Podnoids. Sounder is the industry's first end-to-end audio management distributed just distribution, I don't know why I couldn't say that word, monetization and analytics platform. And Podnodes is a leading podcast discovery and analytics tool. So Sounder has merged with Podnods so that they could improve their analytics from what I understand. So pretty interesting. And other M&A news, iHeartMedia acquired the rest of VoxNest. Lipson recently acquired AdvertiseCast, if you guys didn't hear that, which I think is pretty interesting. SiriusXM acquired Stitcher in October last year, and Apple acquired Scout FM. So pretty interesting that a lot of these different players are starting to merge. Any thoughts about these mergers and acquisitions, Steve and Abel, and anybody else who wants to chime in from the audience? First and foremost, I mean, anytime you see mergers and acquisitions, anytime you see any sort of activity, I I came from the tech world, for those who don't know my background. We launched a store on CompuServe's Electronic Mall in 1993. That's how long I've been online. That store became Liquor.com, which we eventually uh, exited to Barry Dealer's IAC in 2019 with that. So what I am really familiar with and what I know to be true is that anytime you see activity going on in the M&A space, that bodes really well for the industry as a whole. If, it's just like if you think about a body of water, 
that just sits there and it's stagnant and algae starts to grow and it just, it's gross. <laughs> like what you want is you want that water moving. You want that water flowing, like going downstream and dropping over the waterfall. And like you want all of that activity going on, right? And as long as you have all that activity going on, and it's a horrible analogy, I'm sure here, but the reality is that just bodes really, really well for the industry as a whole. It means that there is interest. It means that once there is interest, money follows. Once money follows, then innovation can subsequently jump into the mix as well. So the good news is for all of us who have ideas, people who are thinking about doing this for the audio space or this for the podcasting space or this for social or whatever it might be, there's interest. And so it's a great time to be an innovator and to start raising some capital because there was so much dry powder on the sidelines right now waiting to invest in the right ideas. And the good news is, as you can see with all of the bigger names that you just mentioned there, Hala, in terms of the people who are acquiring these companies, it means that there's a huge opportunity for folks to bring their ideas to fruition and to get paid for those efforts. So it's uh, it's really, really, really encouraging news in, in so many ways. I think there are two things um, that are interesting to observe. One of them is like always when you zoom out, you look at, okay, where are opportunities? Like where are resources allocated to? And then it's, it's crystal clear that the podcasting space and the audio space at large is one of these trending industries. Then what exemplifies this trend is that indeed, not only the smaller entrepreneurs starting out new ventures start investing in tech, that is something that's happening, but also the big players are coming. So there are all these acquisitions. There's also Netflix, for example, I think they announced yesterday, more or less officially, that they're going to invest a lot into producing podcasts to have the audience stay longer on the platform. So at some point, as a big company, you cannot stay behind. You need to go there. It's also a kind of FOMA that kicks in. It's kind of risk diversification. So that's definitely something that we see. And I think a second like overall trend is the whole creator's economy, where all of a sudden all the big social platforms, they're actually looking for ways to help creators monetize. So I'd say that there's like from both sides, like from the demand side and the supply side, more or less, there is like a lot of resource allocated to it. So yeah, definitely exciting industry to be in. Yeah, 100%. And it's the type of industry where if you look around, there's lots of gaps to fill. You know, it's a very disparate market. There's so many different players. There's so many different tools. And there's so many different ways to like create a better mousetrap in this space. And that's a great way to start a business, to create a better version of something else that's already out there. So just something to think about for everybody in the audience. Um, so the next news story is about new data on Clubhouse. As a refresher, last Monday, we talked about how Clubhouse for Android is going to be available in India and the rest of the world starting this Friday, May 21st. And so that's really exciting that Android is basically rolling out globally a lot of us has, have seen some uptick in our room attendance, but honestly, it hasn't been like the golden days from back in the day, I would say two months ago on Clubhouse. So that will be interesting to kind of monitor to see how that Android update will really impact attendance in these rooms. And there's lots of new data on Clubhouse. Some are, you know hopeful for the future of Clubhouse, some not so much. So I'm going to give both perspectives. So Edison Research just came out with some data. They say that 15% of social media users over the age of 18 have used Clubhouse. They also gave some demographic information in terms of Clubhouse users. They said 66% are male, 56% are ages 18 to 34, 42% are ages 35 to 54, and 2% are over 55. 59% of users are white, 19% are Hispanic or Latino, and 17% are black. And 44% of Clubhouse users say that they use this service at least once a day, and 28% say they use it at least once a week. So according to this data, it seems very promising. I mean, to have 15% of social media users who are adults know about the app, and it's just two years old, that's huge. A lot of these other apps that we've heard of, like Instagram, TikTok, they took many more years in terms of getting that notoriety. So Clubhouse is really winning out the gate. We have to remember that it's a really new app. Um, but there are some naysayers. There's some data from Sensor Tower that says that the Clubhouse app was downloaded 72% 
fewer times in March than February. And a lot of people are saying the reason why the decline in downloads is happening is because of the COVID-19 vaccine and basically bringing people together in physical settings. And all of a sudden, the prospect of participating in virtual chats just isn't so you know, interesting or appealing to people anymore. So that's something that the naysayers say. And they also say that the audio boom should be looked at with a skeptical eye because some privacy issues are happening. Clubhouse leaked 1.3 million user records. And so we saw the same thing with TikTok. There was some like little decline because of security issues. But I personally think that not many people really care about that. So what are your thoughts here on the panel in terms of all this Clubhouse data? Is it promising? Is it scary? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to jump in on that. So let me just say this, which is, first of all, anytime you have any any new technology, let alone a new industry, I mean, I, I think we forget because for those of us who have been on Clubhouse now for a period of time, which is kind of funny in the sense that I'm an OG because I've been on since December. Like, I mean, in the scheme of things, that's kind of laughable. But what's what's really interesting is I think people are, are, are forgetting about the fact that we're breaking new ground, not just in terms of, okay, Clubhouse is a new app, but social audio or drop-in audio or whatever you call it as a whole is a brand new industry, period, end story. So if you look at any other moment in time where there has been the birth of a new industry, there's always going to be ebbs and flows, right? No matter how you slice it, there's going to be a lot of interest and interest is going to wane. You can just look at the early adopters to the adopters and then the, the laggards, right? You can run it all the way through and you can see that the people who are here now, you're hearing my voice, you are an early adopter, right? There's no other way around it. Couple that with the fact that, look, this is still an invite-only app, and it's still in beta. So you have this sort of the trifecta of all of the things that people seem to forget about here, which is new industry, you're still in beta, it's invite-only. Like, this is not a recipe for massive growth month after month after month after month. That will happen, but at the end of the day here, what I know to be true is if we look at the numbers with Club Pod as an example, there even at our peak, because we have the ability to see the number of people who are online at any one moment in time, even at our peak, we're only about 10 to 20% max below where it was about a month ago or so when there were 9 million downloads of Clubhouse versus 900,000 downloads of Clubhouse last month, right? So those numbers aren't as, as scary as a lot of people think. But at the same token, the people who stay the course, the people who continue to contribute to conversations that they enjoy, and they continue to be active, they will reap benefits for years and years, I believe, for years and years and years to come. But at the same token, yeah, you have a convergence of trends, right? I mean, you, you had COVID-19 and it's like, okay, great. So everybody's at home. Everybody's craving interaction. Everybody wants to be able to connect. And then Clubhouse comes along. It's like, well, this is a cool way to do it. And now the vaccine comes and people can go outside. They can live real lives. And what's going to happen to Clubhouse? What's going to happen to Twitter spaces? What's going to happen to social audio in general? And my take on it is it's going to ebb and it's going to flow and it's going to find its home. Because at the end of the day, we love being able to communicate with people that we wouldn't normally have the ability to communicate with. And so to be able to connect with you, I mean, you're in New York and Abel, I'm not even sure where you are, but I mean, it's like we're across the globe and then people are going to come up and be on stage and we're going to be able to get to know each other. At the end of the day, real relationships and being able to have real human interaction and connection, we crave that in a two-way format that podcasting doesn't provide, that very little social media provides at all. And so I wouldn't worry at all about the numbers. I would stay the course and I believe, uh, much as uh, many of the people who are here in this room believe, that this is a new opportunity that we should all really be able to take advantage of if we stay positive and, and, and stay focused on what the end goal here is. I think those were excellent points. And by the way, Abel, I think, is in Amsterdam. Isn't that right? All the way from Amsterdam. So we are having a global conversation. 
And I totally agree, Steve. I think that Clubhouse is changing. I personally, in terms of my marketing strategy, I'm not going anywhere. And for me, I feel like you're going to win on Clubhouse when you have consistent events that people can look forward to. So I think things are going to change where you can't just like pop in and start a room and expect 500 people there. But I think if you have a consistent room that you that everybody kind of knows about, they know when they can find you, um, you will get participation if you are consistent. So I think it will become like podcasting where you've got to kind of release on a certain day and time and have people get used to it, put them in your routine and everything like that. And I think you'll win. And actually last week I had my biggest ever attended room. I had almost 5,000 people in my live interview with Dr. Jack Schaefer and you know over 500 people in attendance at once. And it was my biggest room ever. So I'm really hopeful about this app. Abel, any thoughts? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So first of all, yeah, I'm based in Europe in Lisbon. I hear you, Steve. I hear you talking about the vaccine. So we're really looking forward to following up that trend because here we'll be inside using Clubhouse for quite some time. Then what's going to be interesting is a couple of things. One is it's definitely going to be the question like is live social audio like Clubhouse basically pioneered? Is it going to be a feature or is that really going to be a new type of engagement? Then related to what you said, Hala, I definitely agree. I think it's going to be like TV that you know when to expect what show, especially once people get out again, get like full schedules, don't have as much time anymore at home to listen in. You want to have some sense of predictability, but at the same time, you want to have that spontaneity of just hopping in, listening, and maybe even joining on. So I think that balance there, that's something that if they can nail that, then I think it's definitely something that has a future. And then I guess the last point is also about like how can Clubhouse make sure and evolve in a sense that there will be enough users on the platform. And with users, it's obviously a two-sided marketplace in the sense that, yes, you need to have a lot of good speakers hosting rooms. And the other side, like how do you make sure there are enough listeners and how can you make sure that the discoverability, that like the connection is there that when I go to Clubhouse not knowing what I want to listen to, that basically the suggested rooms that they actually connect to my interest. I think that is something that will be a challenge, but that's something that will be probably a crucial factor for determining the long-term success. Yeah, and to follow up on that, and thank you for your insight as well. Um, as Hala had mentioned earlier, our goal with the audio newsroom here is to keep this very interactive. So uh, we see a lot of folks with the party symbols. So welcome to Clubhouse. Good to have you here. Certainly good to have you here in Club Pod. For those of you that have been here for um, some period of time, whether it's a couple of weeks or whether it's a few months or whatever it might be, of course, from your perspective, we'd love to hear that as well. So again, these rooms are very interactive. They're designed to have you involved in the conversation. So feel free to raise your hand. We'll try to bring up some folks as well. But I will also say, Hala, that to your point, as far as the scheduling is concerned, I do think that that is super important. And I think it's super important, no matter who you are, to start your own rooms and eventually to start your own club because it is called Clubhouse for a reason. And I believe at least in terms of a lot of what I've heard and a lot of what I've been part of conversations on here is that the algorithm, as it continues to evolve, as it continues to move out of beta uh, and into just kind of the, the the mainstream world, if you will, whether it's, it's open to everybody, there are no invites, and obviously with the Android rollout and whatnot, there are no restrictions as well, that the clubs ultimately will see a lot of the benefit of the algorithm because their their goal ultimately is to drive as much traffic and as much interest to the clubs as possible. So I encourage everyone to start their own rooms and then ultimately to start their own club, no matter how little or how much you think you have to talk uh, or speak on it as far as a particular subject is concerned. I think that's a really good point, Steve. Thanks for bringing it up. Okay, so we're going to move on to our next news story, and it's about product updates. It's about Spotify. So Spotify, we talked about on Monday, just released timestamps for podcasts. So essentially, you can share a specific timestamp for a podcast on Spotify now with a single link, and it will bring you to a point in time in your podcast episode, which is really awesome for marketing and for swipe up links and things like that. So I'm really excited about that feature. And they're coming out with some more features. So now they released automatic transcriptions, which is officially in beta on their mobile 
app. And they also have some new accessibility changes happening. So think new buttons with different colors for higher contrast for people who are visually impaired. Also uh, larger text sizes available in the settings. Um, so some great accessibility features, which are really important. And then lastly, Spotify will now let you download music and podcasts to your Apple Watch, which is really cool. And they announced that on the Google I.O. conference yesterday. So really cool stuff. What do you guys think about Spotify in terms of their ability to continue innovating? Any thoughts on that, guys? I mean, I'll just simply say that innovation, as we talked a little bit about earlier, is going to be the key to survival, right? Because you just have to continually add new features and new benefits for the consumer. And, and, and so many of us, like even in this room is a perfect example, right? I mean, you, you always have to be conscientious. You have to always be thinking about who the consumer is and what it is that the consumer wants and how do you make for a better consumer experience, right? And so when you look at Spotify... And you look at the other players, but specifically as Spotify, when you look at Spotify and the amount of investment that they're throwing here into the space, at the end of the day, if they don't make a better, make for a better customer experience, I mean, you see, you hear a lot of the backlash about it, and, and at least they're aware of the fact that changes need to be made. And so I, I love seeing them do their part to improve that UX, if you're the, that user experience. And, and I will say, that discoverability has been an issue as far as podcasts are concerned. And to be able to simply, well, if you think about it in terms of Google, right? And well, when Google is used properly, it allows you to find exactly what you're looking for very, very quickly. So if that is going to be the case here with podcasts and we can find what we're looking for very, very quickly, as opposed to having to sit through 45 minutes of, of a show to get that two-minute segment that you're looking for, that just improves the customer experience. And uh, I just brought Tanner up because Tanner is really knowledgeable uh, in this world as well, and Tanner raised his hand. Tanner, you got some thoughts around that? Yeah, you know, um, Spotify's got some bad press with musicians and creators over the years, and Anchor used to be the bane of my existence because... You know, it lowered the barrier to entry so absolutely completely that it's probably the reason why we have 2.1 million podcasts now. In, in fact, I think that during the last couple of years, most podcasts, new podcasts were created through that platform. And as somewhat of an elitist when it comes to content creation, or used to be, that used to really bother me. But as they start to make these innovations with, you know, like the car thing that they're doing, the monetization within episodes, the ability to leave voice messages on your anchor page, uh, the ability to leave textual messages in this very like SoundCloud-esque fashion. They are doing a lot for creators and it's becoming harder and harder for me to look at anchor now as part of Spotify for the past few years and, and say that it's not the right place to start for beginners. It's getting harder to make that argument because it's a much different, much better platform than it ever used to be. And so I'm really coming around to them. I have in the last uh, year, I would say the most. And just so that we can date stamp this and we can mark it, are you declaring right here, right now in the audio newsroom, Tanner, that you are a reformed elitist? Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. Well, as a, with my own content, probably not. <laughs> but if somebody said it on Clubhouse, I think is what really changed my mind is that when you lower the barrier to entry, you enable more voices. And yeah. as somebody who is an engineer and a, and a content creator, like that's not something I had always looked at it as the, yeah, but now we're flooded with like people who didn't carefully think their podcast out. And so that means there's a lot more dead podcasts. It's like an elephant graveyard of podcasts and that's no good for anybody. But there's like that balance of, yeah, but now people who are in places that can't afford the $19 a month for Captivate or whatever can now create and that's good. So it's a it's a strange trade and a balance that I've found recently. And I also just want to take two seconds for to thank Abel from Riverside for helping me out yesterday and this morning. Thank you, Abel. You know what I'm talking about. Amazing, amazing. So I brought up some other folks here on stage. Manny, Melanie, I know you guys are big in the community. So if you guys have any thoughts, just chime in. I brought you on to enhance the conversation. So speaking of these product updates, as you guys probably know, unless you've been hiding under a rock, Spotify and Apple released some paid subscription features. 
And there's some controversy going on in this space. Apparently, different podcast apps are leaking these paid shows. So it's not really the app's fault. It's users essentially pirating this content, this paywalled content on apps like Anchor and CastBox and Pocket Cast and some of these smaller apps in the field. So pretty interesting that you know a lot of these podcasters who are putting out their paid uh, programs are getting upset that they have pirated shows on different apps. So it looks like we're still get, having some hiccups in this space in terms of paid subscriptions. And I just wanted to you know, talk about that story. Does anybody here have any thoughts in terms of pirating this kind of stuff? Let's go to Tanner and then Steve. Well, it's the age-old problem of RSS. It's public. It's hard to lock down. If you don't have a walled garden, you can't really lock it down. And if you put it in the walled garden, then you're competing with the greatest part of podcasting, that it's open and free. And I think what we're seeing is probably going to result in a division of creators who create behind a walled garden exclusively and ditch RSS. I think the death of it is coming. And then we have people who stay within the delivery through RSS. That's something I've written on now for the last, I don't know, couple of years I've talked about it. But I think we're also seeing in, in some part problems for the hosting companies because if Apple's giving you a place to host your audio, Spotify's giving you a place to host your audio, what does Captivate, Simplecast, all these other places continue to, how can they bring more than those platforms can? I think there's far-reaching effects for, for these updates and changes, and I think it's good overall. Yeah, and I mean, I would just simply say that Pirating means you've come of age. <laughs> I mean, when you look at the world of of online marketing and the internet, as far as just like in the history of the internet, like one of the one of the it, it, to Tanner's point, it's like it's that double edged sword. It's like you do something cool and and somebody copies it and puts it somewhere else, and and if you're not doing something cool, then nobody wants to copy it and put it somewhere else. So it's almost like a almost like a badge or a stamp of approval when you come right down to it. Does it suck? Eh, Maybe. I mean, because the, if somebody's pirating it and putting it on another platform, you know, to me, we don't, and this is going to sound crappy, I mean, probably shouldn't even announce this publicly here, but I mean, we, we have people pirate our, like our online courses, our books, our trainings, like all those things and put them on other platforms. For me, I just look at it like I'm flattered. Like if you think enough of what we're doing to put it onto another platform, that just gets me more exposure, more recognition, more visibility, elevates the status, credibility, authority, et cetera. Do we get paid on that? No, but we also don't get paid on, like if somebody is uh, as podcast magazine and they have that magazine in their hand and then they hand it to their friend and go, hey, you have to check this out. We don't get paid twice on that same issue. It just simply means that more people are seeing it. So I actually am going to lean in the direction of, yeah, piracy sucks, but at the same token, uh, it kind of puts your work in front of more people, which isn't necessarily a horrible thing. But I get it when the money's involved, people want to get paid on everything. Do you think, Steve, that, and this just occurred to me as you were talking about, you used the word piracy, and I guess I hadn't thought of it in that sense. I guess that is what it is, though. It takes you back to the LimeWire and Napster days. People were pirating music, artists weren't getting paid. And so if you really back out from that, the solve for that was a monthly subscription to a platform like Spotify. So you can get all your music, but people are still getting paid, but they're not getting paid that much. So is that same kind of thing going to happen to the podcasting? So it's really interesting, right? I mean, and as we're seeing more and more folks go behind paywalls, like like you can see with Rogan, you can see it with Dax and so on, what's going to happen when those sort of piracy type sites pop up where you can access those episodes without having to pay for that content, right? I mean, and, and I think that's inevitable. I think it's I don't think there's any question in my mind at all that it's going to happen in some way, shape, or form. So people, like you said, Tanner, I mean, people associate podcasts with free. And and Hala, I know you had some stats and some... Uh, we talked about this, I think, on, on Monday in our first episode. But there, the people are willing to sit through advertisements in, in ways that they don't sit through them. And yes, you can fast forward and this, that, and the other, but people still sit, like Tim Ferriss has like 27 minutes of ads before he even says a word. I think that might be the exact number. I could be a little bit off. But the point being, when it's free, people are willing to sit and wait and wait and wait until they get to the content. And just there's, there is something about paying for podcasts when the precedent has been set versus getting it for free 
that's going to be tough to overcome in the long run. So I don't know. It's like those, those seeds have been planted and the trees are already starting to grow. Yeah, I agree. I think that the Spotify thing and the Apple thing might help to try to make it more normative that podcasts are something you pay for because something that's on the horizon is problematic to monetizing through ads is that there are so many podcasters, so much noise. It's something like the top 50% of podcasters or 50% or more of podcasters get fewer than 100 listens per episode in their first 30 days. If that's true, how are you monetizing based off ads even if people will sit through them? It's going to become increasingly difficult to make any money. And for that reason, I think we'll see that more people will embrace at least some mixture of free and premium. We're experimenting with it with our own show now and uh, trying to collect data that we can share with the community, which we're not yet ready to do because there's not enough of it. But yeah, uh, it's interesting. And I can speak to that real quick. So if you have less than a thousand downloads per episode, you're in the in, the, in that 50 percentile, a thousand to 200, 2,899, you're in the 20th percentile, 2,900 to 6,699, you're in the 10th percent, uh, percentile, 6,700 to 17,004 per percent, 17,000 to 28,999, 2%, 29,000 plus top 1%. So if you just look at it from a CPM basis, 1% of shows get 29,000 or more downloads. If you're getting 25 bucks per thousand and you're getting 30,000 downloads in episode, that's $750 that you're able to get for an ad on. And that's just not, I mean, that barely keeps the lights on, let alone employing anybody to, mm. to help you with it. Plus you have to be at that elite level to even get it. Yeah, 100%. I would say the, the one thing to add is that you can have like three commercials in your podcast. So you can times that number by three to kind of get an idea of how much money you can make per podcast. And then you can have multiple episodes per week. So if you're a single podcaster with a small team, you could keep the lights on, but... Aside from that, it is not that much you can do unless you start to layer in other things like social media and clubhouse sponsorships, for example, which a lot of podcasters like myself have really generated a lot of income, additional revenue, you know, merging in other channels like social media and clubhouse on top of podcast advertising. So it's all super, super interesting stuff. Um, so continuing on with these product updates, Abel, I know that Riverside.fm is also very innovative like Spotify is. And so I'd love to hear about your different product updates that you want to share with group. Yeah, sure. So yeah, for the ones listening in, uh, Riverside is a remote recording platform. And what we try is to really make it easy for content creators to tell their story. So basically that once you're interviewing someone, you don't have to focus on the tech, but you can really focus on actually having a great conversation. Then in terms of product updates, yes, like we're shipping a lot of new features every week. And so lately, I think two new features are very exciting to highlight. One is called the Magic Editor. And what this does is that it automates your post-production process. So how it works is right now the workflow, obviously you're recording, you record locally and get separate tracks with Riverside for the highest quality. And rather than going into your editing software, you can now just with a couple of button clicks, you can actually automatically stitch together the separate tracks, add a logo, add a custom frame to make it really like a TV show or YouTube show kind of content and just export it. And all you do is you wait couple of minutes, sometimes 20 minutes, depending on the file sizes, and then the files are ready for publishing. So the idea is that we're going to shorten the time it takes from recording to publishing, like rather basically going from many hours, you can now shorten it to less than an hour. So that's something that is truly, truly exciting. And then actually an exclusive announcement is that starting from next week, we'll start launching with our media board. And what this is going to be is that basically it allows you to already during the recording to play audio segments, but also to play live video segments, and they will also be locally recorded. And so this ties into, again, the vision of shortening the time from recording to publishing, not having to do this manually in your editing program, adding intros, adding outros, adding ad reads adding certain videos when one of the guests is sharing their screen and you discuss it, but you can already do it live 
and actually have it integrated into the recording. So that's something that, yeah, stay tuned for that because that's going to be, I think, a big deal for many creators. Wow, that sounds really, really exciting. So are you saying that it's going to be kind of having like a roadcaster type of a setup, but in the interface of Riverside.fm so we could add like clapping during the conversation or background music and beds? Is, is that what you're saying, Abel? That's right. That's right. It's a huge step into becoming a studio in the browser. So you can even, you can save and upload from your computer. You can upload pre-recorded content and have it saved for all your future recordings. And indeed, like you said, Hala, you're basically bringing the roadcaster into the studio and yeah, make it much more engaging, give it more the feeling of a live show where you can also stream it live to your audience, but then have it ready as a recorded higher quality version for distributing that afterwards. Cool. And then in terms of your live streaming features, what platforms are you guys able to stream on right now? Have you added LinkedIn Live yet? We're working on that. LinkedIn is not yet there. Uh, right now you can live stream to external platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. But actually something that is personally, I think it's underrated is that you can also live stream on the Riverside platform with the additional benefit that you can actually have your audience members. They can go in with video to temporarily join the host and the guest and ask a question. And as a host, you can actually kick them out whenever they're done, as well as that your audience members can use the chat box. So you can really host a live Q&A session, make it super interactive. And then afterwards, you get the benefit of the locally recorded higher output. Well, that's super, super interesting. I didn't know about that feature. Anybody here on stage want to add? I think Melissa, potentially Melanie, any thoughts or questions for Abel? Thanks, Hala. Hey, guys, Melissa here, co-host of Millennial Women Talk podcast. Abel, this sounds amazing, and I am really excited to check it out. I've used Zencaster in the past, and so I really love the features that you guys are rolling out with your product. I have a question. How user-friendly is it to attach maybe high-quality production tools like a DSLR camera or like a Shure microphone? Are we able to use high-quality products with your product? Hi, Melissa. Nice to meet you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So it's very simple. The moment you can connect something to your computer and your browser can read it, that is when Riverside can read it. So it's, it's all there is. Just connect your DSLR with your cam link to your computer and you can use it on Riverside. Awesome. Awesome. So I have a question for you, Abel. It's about the magic editor. I actually was doing a coaching call yesterday and we were talking about Descript. And then I remembered, I was like, you know what? I also think that Riverside, and she was using Riverside. And I was like, I think that Riverside came out with something similar, but I didn't know if it was exactly similar to Descript or if it was different. So I'd love for you to really go give a deep dive because I don't think many recording platforms have a feature like that. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be happy to. So let me first map the workflow. So basically what you do is, okay, you're recording your interview afterwards. You get individual audio and video tracks for each participant. And so the next logical step is that you download the files, you import them in the, into your editing program, you merge the tracks together so that you can have a composed version whilst using the higher quality individual tracks. So basically, you make a split-screen recording like you would get with Zoom, but then the quality is much better. And so this is a tedious process that you need to download the files, go in your editing, do normalization, maybe reduce some background noise, maybe add a logo, maybe add like, like a branded frame where you have the name tags, where you have the name of your show, et cetera, et cetera. And then the next step is that you need to basically export it from your editing file and render it. I mean, typically it involves a lot of steps. Uh, it's what some creators really enjoy doing, really like getting their hands dirty, but others just want to minimize the time and effort it takes to actually get the high production value. So that is where the magic editor comes, comes in. So how it works is you go to the dashboard on Riverside where you have the different files from the recording. So instead of downloading them, you basically drag and drop them into the editor. It, it's literally three mouse clicks and you're done. You go in there, you say basic edits. Do I want to make the volume equal across participants? 
do you want it? Okay, you click on turn on. You can click on background noise and then you click next. And that is basically where you decide, okay, what is the cutout? What is the frame that you can see? Do you want them to like to see the black borders like you see with some video conferencing softwares or do you want to have it ready for the YouTube format where basically the entire screen is filled? So you click on it, we do that automatically, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, like the best thing I recommend is just to check it out yourself. Also for you, Hala, also for everyone in the audience and feel free also to reach out if you have questions or if you have ideas. But this is really going to be the beginning. Like we're further developing it. It will become more powerful over time. But already now it shortens the time of publication from multiple hours to, to basically a couple of minutes. Awesome. It looks like, Tanner, were you clapping or did you want to add something? I actually had two things. Abel, I wanted to say, first of all, that that ability to live stream from within, like privately live stream within Riverside, you didn't mention it, but the limitation to the audience size is impressive. I mean, you can do that for up to a thousand people. Am I right about that? Has that increased or changed? Yeah, you can be up to 2,000 people, actually. That's amazing. And then secondly, the, uh, the magic editor that you're talking about, it gives you a really cool option. If I'm remembering, I've only used it twice. Is it right that it will give you the option to have everybody appear at the same time and like a side-by-side, -side, or it will, switch, it will do that switch thing for you in that the, when someone is speaking, it will be their video that is shown uh, and, and vice versa. When somebody's not speaking, they're not shown. Is that right? Yeah, so right now it's just a split screen. So you'll see all participants uh, during the entire conversation. But I'm glad you asked because like, we have something super, super exciting in the pipeline, which is basically doing exactly like you said. We called an active speaker mode where we're analyzing the recorded content and afterwards we're automating this entire process. So we're taking away 80% of manual editing in post-production and we do it automatically for you. So how you have, for example, with Zoom, they do speaker mode during a live call, but then when someone is coughing or something, it already switches, whereas it's not needed. What we do is we have the benefit of that we work with the recorded content. So we can analyze already what has happened and based on that, make better decisions. So suppose Tanner and I have a conversation then we will switch cameras already a couple of seconds before Tanner is responding to what I asked or to what I said. So it's something that is coming in the coming weeks and really like we're going to be the first one in the industry. So yeah, stay tuned for that. And thanks a lot, Tanner, for reminding me of that because um, that's actually one of the things we've been working on a lot lately. I love the amount of time and effort that you guys are putting into the video aspect of this. I know that as somebody who's been in this for a while, video isn't what I consider to be podcasting, but COVID and LinkedIn and some other platforms have kind of made that very much more normative than it used to be. And you guys are not ignoring that. I think you've always been innovative in that way, and we love using you uh, for our podcast. So just thanks and really appreciate your platform. No, I appreciate that. That means a lot to us. Yeah, I love that Riverside.fm is really like video first, whereas all the other apps, recording apps seem to have come out with video later. And it seems like having that kind of perspective or mentality on it shows because they have a lot of hiccups in their product releases where Riverside.fm is really smooth. We've been using it for over a year. If you guys want to try Riverside.fm for free, I have an affiliate link in my bio. If you click my Koji link and you can try Riverside.fm for free if that's interesting to you. And if you guys want the notes to today's show, make sure you DM me your email and the team will send the weekly newsletter. Okay, so I saw Manny, Melissa, and Vic also tap their mics. So let's go to Manny and then um, Melissa and then Vic. Hey, Hal, how are you? Thanks for the space, Steve, Abel, Tanner. Always great to see you guys in the room. And it really is, man. I'm just pulling my hair here. There's so much juicy content that's coming from left and right. And one of the things I certainly have to echo with Tanner was saying, I think the demise of RSS fees is certainly in the near future. And with respect to piracy, you know, I'm a musician. So <laughs> we're culprits or more or less victims of having our music stolen on a daily basis. And my right rebuttal to that is, you know, good artists borrow and great artists 
steal, but it certainly forces us to become more resourceful in how we dish out our content, you know, how we're going to sustain our careers financially. And as a former Apple employee for 10 years, I'm surprised it took Apple this damn long, to be honest with you, to start coming up with these renovations. But to be honest with you, I'm more curious to see what Facebook's focus on audio does versus, you know, platforms like Twitter and Discord. And obviously, they want to get in on the action. And I think their passion for wanting to take on multiple audio-centric features makes them a huge factor. So I'm excited. You know, it's like I always upheld the idea uh, from working with Apple, don't do the first update on your iPhone. Let's wait for two or three months before they get all the quirks out to see what's going on because I want to see where it develops, you know? And I think what's intriguing about what's going on with Facebook, you know, competing against the upcoming Soundbytes feature uh, that Twitter has, if I'm not mistaken... And they're going to sell it as a very easy platform to bring in more of the podcast listeners. So that to me right there is intriguing. And I guess all these developments that are coming out can be a little overwhelming for the novice or the person contemplating whether to start their podcast. But there are great opportunities for the podcasters in this world because, you know, you can't believe the hype. Yeah, there are 2 million podcasters, but... Which ones are them active? You know, some of them are just completely stagnant. Nobody's creating content. So that's always going to be an advantage as long as you follow your truth. But I just wanted to add that in that there are certainly some incredible developments. But I'm just going to sit back and wait and let them duke it out and see what's going to, you know, be more advantageous for me and what I'm trying to deliver as a podcast. But thanks for the space, Hollis, Steve, everyone. It's always, uh, and now learning with Riverside, I've been contemplating that. So that's certainly there. Maybe this could be a serendipitous entry into this room. So I appreciate all the input I'm getting. This is Manny and I'm out. Thank you, Manny. What awesome contributions. Super interesting conversation. Vic, I see that you are new to Clubhouse. So welcome to Clubhouse. And I know that you joined the stage to add something. So would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you for the space and the opportunity. And yes, I'm new. Clubhouse with this party hat does not allow you to hide and and pretend like you know what you're doing. So uh, forgive me for anything that I I may not do right as we move forward. With that being said, I had a question as Abel was talking about Riverside and the ability to download the separate files. I am a co-host of a podcast called Purpose Addicts and my co-host handles all of the editing piece. But what I was curious about is whether it be Riverside or any other uh, software apps out there, is there anything that would allow you to have multiple hosts and each host has the ability to download both the video and the audio file in case each of them wanted to provide some editing for? So right now it's, it's just one host. Like your account is connected to the host account. However, we built a very simple solution for this. And you can just click on one button. It's a share link. So you retrieve a link and that link gives you directly access to download all the files. So you can just go in there. There's one host, that one shares the link and then all co-hosts have access to all the files. Awesome. Thank you. Another follow-up question then. We use HAPS TV. I'm not sure if anyone is familiar with that, but we use that for a lot of our live streams because of the multi-streaming function to the different platforms and you can do it simultaneously. I'm not familiar with Riverside, but I'm hoping to now check it out after hearing this conversation. I may have missed this, Abel, but did you say that Riverside allows you to multi-stream to the different platforms similar to how HAPS does? I'm not familiar with HAPS, but I'm familiar with other multi-stream platforms. You can stream to multiple platforms, but you need to activate the streams on those platforms separately. The reason is that Riverside FM is optimized for the recording element while supporting various live streaming features. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. That was the question that I had. Thank you so much, Hala, for the stage and the platform, everyone. I'm Coach Vic. I'm out. Thank you, Vic. Appreciate your question. So we do have a bunch of folks on stage and you know we're going to be closing the room shortly. So I want to make sure we're giving everybody an ability to contribute. So Melissa, did you have something to add before we move on to some Q&As from the stage? Thanks, Hala. I'll be super fast, Abel. And you may or may not know the answer to this question, but with this new kind of roadcaster-inspired feature with your platform, are we going to be able to use that through Clubhouse you know, with your platform and Clubhouse. Thoughts on that? Yeah, that that's right now, that's not going to be possible uh, simply because Riverside FM is browser-based. We did release an iOS app so that guests can tune in from their iPhone. But I don't think it's like there, there might be workarounds. There always are workarounds. 
but it's not natively supported. Abel's waiting for that API from Clubhouse. That's what he's waiting on. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Abel, so much for your product updates. Um, Super helpful. I like I said, I've been using Riverside.fm for over a year. And ever since I started adding video to my podcast, that's when it really took off on LinkedIn and other platforms. So thank you so much for your amazing platform and for being such like a down-to-earth person that you know a lot of users, I think, reach out to you directly when things go wrong and you just really are helpful. So Abel, we always appreciate you, always appreciate your time. So thank you so much for sharing this space. Matt, I see you raised your hand. What would you like to talk about. Hi, thanks. I actually worked with Steve briefly doing some freelancing on the podcasting magazine about a year ago. It's a small world there, but this is a question for Abel. I guess you were saying earlier with more podcasting uh, shifting to video, didn't wouldn't you say it adds a lot of cost to a, a podcast and with supplies being kind of limited, even things like webcams are still more expensive than they used to be with uh, a lot more people working from home, do you have any sort of guides on your website for people wanting to transition from an audio to more of a video podcast? Yeah, for sure. So first of all, you can go to riverside.fm slash blog, uh, where we publish like a lot of different articles to, to help everyone out, different budgets, different levels. And then in addition to that, that's your first comment. I think like we offer the flexibility. So you can also use Riverside to record audio-only shows. A lot of our users do. But if you want to add the video element, then it's basically integral and integrated into the product so that you have a smooth experience. So there are a lot of different use cases. There are a lot of people recording audio-only content for podcast directories, but then they use the video to actually make short clips to promote and grow their audience. So I'd say that we try to give you the flexibility and so also be accessible for people with different levels of experience, different budgets, different needs. Thanks so much. I'll have to check that out. Awesome. Elizabeth, I see you're on stage here. You raised your hand. How can we help you? Do you have a comment, question? Would love to hear your thoughts. Hey, Ala. Thanks so much for hosting this room. I jumped in a little bit late, but I can't wait to hear the next one. Um, I'm Elizabeth, a co-host of the Conscious Kitchen podcast. And I recently started using Riverside and it's such a cool like tool and platform. But on my first recording, one of my guests was using the AirPods. And I didn't realize, I know that it said like that guests using it needed to use headphones, but it didn't specify not like using wired ones. And so when I downloaded the audio, I could hear myself and my other co-host. So is it is it a rule that like AirPods are not allowed with like Riverside because it, then it catches just everyone's audio on the same track? And if it is, do you have any tips on what I could do to remove like the other audios or how I can make that particular audio work for me? Thank you. I'm done speaking. Yeah, sure. So I, I can be very short. Like, like, so AirPods can work. There can be latency due to Bluetooth, but the AirPods do work. What you described is that it sounds like audio bleeding. So it's basically that the mic is picking up the output sound. And so that depends on the setup on your guest end. So you can, as an output of your computer, you can use your AirPods, which then is good. But it it almost sounds like the output, although using AirPods, the output wasn't selected on the AirPods, but rather on the speaker of the laptop. And when that, for example, happens, that means that the mic is automatically catching up all of the sound. And that is when you don't have the isolated audio. I mean, that's like a general thing. Then if you have a specific case, you can always reach out to our support team. We have like a huge support team of audio engineers and they're super helpful. So I think that's the best thing to do right now. Okay, thanks, Abel. I will definitely do that. And is it just safer to just say not use AirPods because it can be kind of technical to have to switch it out? I'll jump in, I'll jump in. AirPods, I feel like are the enemy of podcasters on like all the different platforms. I would just say in your logistics, I would tell your guests no AirPods. Head like wired Headphones will work a lot better than AirPods. Even AirPods on Clubhouse perform really poorly. And when I do a recorded episode on Clubhouse, I ask people not to wear their AirPods. Anybody who comes on stage and they sound really far away or it sounds scratchy, they're usually wearing AirPods. So I would just say best practice, tell your guests to you know stay away from AirPods. You'll actually be better with their computer mic than you would 
AirPods. And, and that would be my suggestion as a pretty polished podcaster. Anybody here on stage, do you guys agree with me? Like just stay away from AirPods. Is there a different perspective? I don't want to say this is the only way, but I've told my guests to stay away from AirPods. The problem with mainly are so it causes a, a delay, as Abel said, and the scratching comes from rubbing against of a beard or a face, and they're just generally not a good solution. Ear pods, on the other hand, with the mic being you know placed down on the cable, those are perfectly acceptable, and it's just better to wear wired anyway. It's more consistent, and you don't have to worry about the battery dying or for some reason your computer randomly decides to switch from output sources from the AirPods because they're connected through Bluetooth to some something else. Tied with you on that, Hala. I don't think that, like there's not a problem with the, the headphones themselves with AirPods, but it's just, as it turns out, using them with computers can be a little shoddy, and so it's just probably not good practice to use them. Yeah, so what I do is when I record... So when I'm planning to record an episode, I send the guest a logistics email and one of the bullet points talks about the type of equipment that they should have. It gives some helpful links that they need to buy some you know, cheaper USB mics or headsets or something on Amazon so that we can have a good conversation. And then I, I say like, you know, please no AirPods, please no jewelry that's going to tap on the table, stuff like that. So um, I think, you know, coming up with your logistics email, if you guys want a sample of that, I'm happy to share what I send for Riverside.fm specifically, you can DM me logistics and I'll have my team share what we send via email for our logistics for Riverside.fm. Happy to do that. All right, guys. So I'm going to go over our last news story. Before I do that, tap your mic, flash your mic if you have a last question for Abel while we're on this topic. If you Okay, so let's go to Tanner and then Miko. Some quick questions for Abel and then let's move on to the next topic for whom I'm a producer and I spend a lot of time having to share credentials with them, which makes me generally uncomfortable as somebody who used to be in IT. I don't like sharing credentials, their credentials specifically, because I don't want the liability. Does Riverside have any plans to include a Teams feature or is there one already and I'm unaware of it? Yeah, we, we already have one. We have an enterprise proposition, which is being used by Teams. So yeah, just reach out to me. Like We know each other, so let's talk afterwards and uh, I can help you out. Thanks, man. Perfect. Miko, any thoughts for Abel? Hi, Abel. Just a quick question. Is there an easy way to use virtual backgrounds in Riverside.fm? I, I downloaded it and tried to find a button to upload, but I couldn't find anything. Hi, Miko. No, like uh, virtual backgrounds aren't natively supported. There are workarounds with OBS, for example, um, but it's not natively supported on the platform right now. Thank you. Awesome. And I'm going to get into our last story here. And it loops in with a trend that I I keep talking about. And that's the trend of Latin America becoming a major player in the podcasting space and even for English speaking podcasts. And it's something that for me, I'm focusing on in terms of growth strategy for my podcast. So last week, iHeartMedia announced it's starting a standalone Latinx network. The standalone network is called My Cultura and its focus is on telling Latin voices and stories. So really cool stuff and just some data points for you guys to understand the importance of focusing on the Latin American market. According from Nielsen, 41% of US podcast listeners are non-white, which makes podcast audience more diverse than the country's total population. Across ethnic groups, Hispanics have gravitated towards podcasts more than others as the reach amongst this group increased from 1.1 million in 2010 to 6.8 million in 2019. Some other great data points here. In terms of fastest growing countries, VoxNest says that Chile, Argentina, Peru, and Mexico are the top four with China as number five. So four out of the five fastest growing countries for podcasting is in Latin America. Another huge data point in terms of why you need to be paying attention. 80% of Latinos say they are listening to podcasts more now than compared to a year ago. And 73% of Latinos listen to an English podcast in the last month compared to 49% who listen to a Spanish podcast. So this is huge, right? I really want everyone to understand 
how big of a deal this is and that the Latin American market is growing really fast and anybody who's savvy in this space really should start to pay attention to this market. And I, for one, just partnered up with iVox trying to capitalize on the fact that a lot of Spanish-speaking folks who have access to different apps in their region, they want to listen to English podcasts and not a lot of English podcasts are available on those apps. So make sure you go claim your podcast on platforms like iVox and CastBox, who's like a global player and all the different global players and don't sleep on the international market. Does anybody on stage want to talk a little bit about their thoughts on Latin America in terms of podcasting on the international market as a whole? Just flash your mic if you have something to add. Okay, let's go to Melissa. Hey, Hala, thanks so much. So as a Cuban American, this is huge, right? I think that for Latinos, this is a massive way to provide very high quality, awesome content to our community. A lot of even my podcast students are primarily Latino women. So Latino women are not just listening, but they're also creating their own shows, which is really, really beautiful to see and really encouraging to watch them flourish in this space. So I think this is massive, you know, for iHeartRadio to provide, you know, a dedicated platform. You know, we have channels like tele, you know, Telemundo and Univision that provide content for our community. But right now there isn't anything for podcasting. So the fact that they're going to be doing that for the podcast community is just huge. It's massive. I'm a big supporter and I'm excited to see all the amazing things that's going to come out of it. My name is Melissa and I'm done speaking. Cool. Let's kick it over to Tanner. Melissa, as somebody who, <laughs> I almost want to coin the term Ponzi, like a person of non-color, <laughs> how could somebody like me be more, other than list on a platform like iVox, how might I be able to create content that was more inviting to that market, other than offer my podcast perhaps in Spanish? Is there something in particular I can do to make it apparent that I want those people to tune in? Any tips there? That's a really interesting question and a really, really good thought. So, you know, I've, I'm someone that really relates to all types of content, even when I was younger. So it's, it's not just Latino content. So I just think that you being authentic to any of, you know, and I'm, I'm excited to check out your show, but you know, just providing and being authentic to your content that you are putting out and publishing is going to resonate already. But, you know, inviting maybe Latino guests to your show or doing some sort of pod swap or collaboration or features on social media. There's so many ways to support each other, not just in the Latino community, but podcast community. And I've said this in other rooms many, many times to me, and I come from traditional like Hollywood, LA media. I have never seen a more welcoming and loving community like I do in the podcast community. So just the fact that you're even thinking about the Latino community and how you want to represent, there's so many ways to do that besides just you know, translating the content, which obviously it's important, right, for the for the non-English speakers around the world, but also championing other podcasters, bringing them onto your show, pod swaps, shout outs, anything you can think of to be supportive is is actually really huge for us. But, you know, I'm very grateful that you mentioned that. And I think it's in, I think it's important for all of us to support each other in the podcast community because this is how we thrive and how our industry prospers. So thanks, Tanner. That was really awesome. Sure. Glad to ask. Genuinely interested. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited about marketing to this space and growing my podcast in this space. It's just such a new growth area that I think a lot of people are sleeping on. So I see we had Tiffany from the audience raised her hand. Tiffany, did you have a specific thought on this topic? Would love to hear your thoughts. Yes, thank you. I was going to ask a similar question to, to Tanner. So my specific audience is the military and veteran community. With that, there is a, I don't have the numbers, but a large portion of Spanish-speaking individuals as their primary language, whether it be Mexico, Puerto Rico, or wherever else it may be. So I'm wondering, and I do not, I cannot carry on a conversation in Spanish, but I'm wondering if there is something that I can do that would maybe reach that specific demographic of you know, for in this you know, for this other than hiring a translator which is almost not doesn't create the same experience we've been experimenting with trying to partner with people that we identify within uh, latin communities specifically external to the us but i guess it could work internally as well to be like a sister production under the same i'm not going to say the name of my podcast here because i don't think it's appropriate but keeping 
like using our same banner and developing a second podcast which covers the same stories but gives Latin hosts who would host it their own ability to, you know, we, we would vet them as making sure they were experts on the content, but that they could then run with the show and the benefit of our branding and create that show for that community. Again, we're experimenting. We haven't really followed through on it yet. We're not finished testing the idea, but other than that, I can't, I mean, transcription, I guess, making the transcription in a different language, it's tough because there's a cost associated with it. Most podcasters are are broke, aren't we? Yep. (laughs) I have a couple ideas for you, Tiffany. So first of all, think about co-pro, so co-promoting. Try to find the different groups. Like where are all these, you know, vets who come from Latin America who speak Spanish? Where are they all hanging out? Are there Facebook groups? Are there LinkedIn groups? Are they already listening to some specific podcast? Can you do a swap with that podcast? Is there an influencer or micro-influencer in that space where you can do cross-promotions? Like, so for example, you could say hey, I know you have a Facebook group page. I think that a lot of people would like my podcast who are on your page. Can you post this for me? And in exchange, I'll run a commercial on my podcast for you. You know, something like that where you're co-promoting. I've had a lot of success growing my show doing stuff like this. And you can take any angle to do something like this. And then the other thing to know is that, I'll say this stat again, 73% of Latinos listen to an English podcast in the last month and 49% listen to a Spanish podcast. So Latinos are interested to hear content in English. And I'm actually pretty good friends with the CEO of Adonde Media. And she concurs. She says that Spanish speakers and and people in Latin America, people in America who have the iVox app, for example, they're happy to listen to an English podcast. So keep that in mind as well. A lot of these people learned English in school and, and they want to get better at their English. And sometimes people listen to the podcast to get better at their English, in fact. So all points yeah. to keep in mind. And I do appreciate that. What comes to mind in particular is an episode that I've already recorded but not yet been published where both the husband and wife were service members. He, the husband, he is just straight up, you know, just just a white guy from Texas. And she is Panamanian. And so Spanish was her primary language. And part of what she shared in that episode of the podcast was still learning English as she entered the military. She had that basic where she could learn, she could get by in conversation, but it, it was through her career that she English became more second nature natural. So that's what came to mind when I asked that question. Awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tiffany, for your contribution. It was great. We wish you the best of luck. And so I'm going to close out the room now. You guys are tuning into the audio newsroom. It's the top stories in podcasting and audio. We covered a lot of ground today. We talked about different product updates. We talked about different mergers and acquisitions going on in the space. We talked about piracy with paid subscriptions going on and had some back and forth. We talked about Clubhouse and the decline in use in Clubhouse and what the naysayers are saying and what the pros of Clubhouse are saying. And we also had Abel here from Riverside.fm as a guest. We had a lot of Q&A about Riverside.fm's amazing innovative features. If you guys want to try Riverside.fm for free, you can DM me the word Riverside. We'll send you an affiliate link. And with that, we'll see you guys on Friday. We have Chartable as our special guest, the COO of Chartable. I think it's going to be a great conversation. So if you guys enjoyed this room, make sure you mark your calendars for Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you guys again. And with that, this is Hala and friends signing off. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you.